Bet365 sponsors our podcast and they feature over 300,000 sporting events on their betting app. It's got everything you need to bet on sport. Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets, including first, last, or anytime goal scorers. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favorite online betting company. With Bet365 Bet Builder, you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals, and more to create your own personalized bet. And if you can't watch the games live, with Bet365's Match Live feature, you can follow every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favorite online sports betting company. The app can be downloaded from the Google Play and the Apple App Store. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. Hello dear listener and welcome to Pod on the Tyne. My name's Taylor Payne and this is your go-to Newcastle United podcast. Podcast. <laughs> it started early. <laughs> Brought to you by The Athletic. Welcome back. The three boys are back in town. We're reunited once again in the virtual studio, the isolation station. Put your hands together, ladies and gentlemen. It's Mr. George Corkin. How are you doing, George? Well, if this is a podcast, do we do do we do Catholic versions as well? I don't know. <laughs> Very good. I like that. And also uh, I'm, joining I'm, I'm, George. I, yeah. Oh, go on then. Well, I was going to say, I just I'm not entirely sure how I feel. I feel confused, Taylor. I feel confused. Oh, really? Why? Why is that? Well, well, I think we'll probably talk about that, won't we? All right. I'm, okay. I'm mm-hmm. just not. I'm just not used to Newcastle behaving like a normal football club. <laughs> football club. <laughs> And also joining George, of course, welcoming him back to the podcast is Mr. Chris Waffles Waff. Chris, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Yeah, the three of us together, Ooh. the triumphant return. It's uh, it's yeah. strange having the three. It's been a while, hasn't it? It's been a long time, but also at the same time, not long enough. Has it's it? been it's been it's been frigging brilliant. Let's be honest. <laughs> Oh, God. I have to say, I listened to that podcast when it was just the two of you when I was off on, on the poorly sickness. And, uh, yeah, it was awful, wasn't it? It was really bad. <laughs> well, Chris insisted. Chris insisted on leading from the front. And he's he's one of life's, you know, he's one of, he's like, he's one of life's straight men. It should have been me. I was the host with the most, surely. No, it was great stuff. I enjoyed it a lot. It was really good fun. <laughs> kept them, kept my spirits up, put it that way. So how are we all doing anyway? And the world of Newcastle United is a strange and wonderful place. Well, maybe it's not wonderful, but it's a strange place. Uh, and there's lots been going on, hasn't there, this week? This It seems like there's new news every day. There's stuff coming out of the club every five minutes at the minute. So what is going on, George? Well, we're signing footballers. I mean, I don't know how to. I mean, I'm not well, quite sure. Well, I for one didn't see that coming. No, I know, and I think um, it's it's uh, all joking aside. Um, it's it's been very good. It's uh, I mean, let's not you know ignore the fact that this probably comes from a very low base in terms of uh, mm. optimism this summer because it's been a very difficult and long and wearing summer. But a few days, only a few days to go until the start of the season, they've lurched into action and. Um, I think the sort of encouragement comes from the fact that they've not just signed uh, signed bodies; they've signed people who will make them better, who, yes. who who you know who have a track record, and that's been one of the sort of sorry to use the word narrative, but it's one of the kind of narratives of this summer that Steve Bruce has been has been pushing for experience. His very much his mantra has been no risks, no risk. The club simply cannot afford to take risks this season. We've got a truncated season coming up. We've got more games in a shorter period of time. 
we know what's happened or not happened over the course of the last few months. And he wanted people to be able to go into the team straight away and theoretically at least perform and he's got his way. Now the reasons for that and the reasoning behind that is kind of very, very interesting. It's fascinating. But at the time we were, we were recording, Callum Wilson had signed from Bournemouth for 20 million quid. Uh, he's a 28 year old. That's not Mike Ashley business. It's not Ryan, Ryan Fraser has also signed on a free transfer. His previous club were Bournemouth too. I think he's an upgrade and Jamal Lewis is here having a medical. So it's um yeah, it's pretty pretty staggering really, but it's good news and there hasn't been enough of that recently for us to uh, to be blase about it. There certainly hasn't. There's been a lot of uh, information on The Athletic over the last couple of days about the, the potential incomings uh, and what they bring. And of course, if you want to check all that out, get yourself on there, theathletic.com and forward slash Newcastle pod uh, for a 30-day free trial uh, for all of the articles that are on there at the minute and catch up with the latest news on Wilson, Fraser, Lewis et al. Chris, how are you feeling about it all? It's very strange, isn't it, feeling this positive? It is very strange. I mean, I'm trying to get used to actually reporting on signings as well because during my journalistic (laughs) career, I haven't really done that that much. And that's partly because of Newcastle, but also because it tends to be that I'm on holiday whenever Newcastle signs someone. It became a running joke when I was at the Chronicle, although it was (laughs) just a fact. And actually, it nearly happened on this occasion because I was only back on Monday, but they, they they did delay it long enough for me to be back. I think it's hard to, to really overstate how important Callum Wilson is as a signing. I think that it's just so far removed from everything that we've seen really in the, the Mike Ashley era. I mean, in the, in this piece that I've done for the Athletic, I've gone through it and looked at the, the previous 12 permanent signings Newcastle have made for a fee, striker-wise. Mm, yeah. The average age is 24. Only two others have been from domestic clubs, and they were Daryl Murphy and Hosselu. Um And yeah. so... Newcastle have, have signed an England international, albeit from someone who's been relegated. He's 28 years old. They've paid the second highest ever fee that they've paid for, for someone for him. And it's to try and fix a problem now, whereas in the past, for so long they've been signing loan players to try and patch up positions or they're signing players from abroad who clearly have potential, but they don't develop them in the right way. They haven't got the players there already to really help them through. And... Yeah. Callum Wilson is, is proven in the Premier League. Yes, he, he had a fairly average season last season, but that fairly average season would still have made him Newcastle United's top goalscorer with eight. So, <laughs> yeah. so I just think that, that Wilson in particular is huge. The other business is, is very positive. Jamal Lewis, who should or could maybe confirm by the time this podcast is out, very highly rated. Obviously, Liverpool wanted him. Ryan Fraser... On a free transfer, I think it's, it's an absolute no-brainer. I mean, I am that's the one I'm slightly just a little bit in terms of attitude and what's happened over the last year. I think he's got a big point to prove, and I think that he needs to really knuckle down and impress. But mm. all those three probably do walk straight into the first eleven. So Newcastle haven't just signed players. As, as George said, Bruce promised that he was going to sign quality, and these three players will probably go straight into the first eleven. And in that sense, he, he has delivered, and he's managed to get Mike Ashley... To, to make to, to, to sanction this for whatever reason it, it's unclear and there's always with Newcastle there's always that but as to what does this mean what, what is that going to affect but in the short term this seems a positive move and, and Newcastle actually go into the start of the season with a little bit of a positive momentum around the club even given everything that's gone on the the thing with Wilson you make a great point I mean if you go back 12 months or a bit bit more than that you know last it's it's not about even when kind of Newcastle have shown ambition in the past it's kind of been skewed so you know bloody hell they spent 40 million pounds on a footballer that's extraordinary yeah and but it was also extraordinary that they spent it on a bloke who was 
absolutely ill-suited to the system that they had at the time and they kind of expected him to to take him out of a team and for him to be able to do the same thing in a completely different circumstances you know i do have sympathy for jillinton a year previous to that they signed rondon but on loan when benitez wanted him as a permanent signing he was the same age as callum wilson is now he would have been available for 16 million quid whatever it was and they wouldn't do it you know they would not do that now the argument that we have talked about on here plenty of times is that thing where if you're buying someone who's at their peak fine at the end of that at the end of a five-year contract now wilson's got a four-year contract with an option for a fifth i think you know there won't be a sell-on value you know he won't be worth a lot of money but in that time his experience this is the theory his experience yeah. would have been become useful for other players the younger players in the team will come on he'll make them help make them worth more money the team will improve the team will have you know and it's that sort of philosophy that ashley's newcastle has just never kind of bought into yeah. you know and and so that's why it's that's why it's kind of staggering and it's not about you know it's not about saying sort of domestic based players or players who are in the premier league are kind of better than um signings that you can make from abroad people that you haven't heard of it's i, I don't think in this instance it's about a kind of lack of inf- uh, kind of imagination i think this is just about good sense it's exactly what the team needs and that's why it's quite difficult to get your head around. It's what I mean. It's what the clubs needed for a few years now, isn't it? We've needed this kind of player, this this signing uh, for a while. He'll bring in goals. He'll bring in energy. Uh, he'll bring in uh, experience as well. He's a, he's a fantastic player all round, and I think it's the sort of signing that we've needed for a long, long time. I am really excited about him linking up with Ryan Fraser, though, because they have a fantastic partnership and a great combination. They're actually responsible for the highest uh, number of goals th- from a partnership uh, since Chris. Sutton and Alan Shearer in the Premier League, which is a remarkable stat when you look at those two guys. Uh, but I think that hopefully they're going to be great. And Jamal Lewis coming in as well, a young player with lots of potential, but has already played in the Premier League for a season and proven himself to be a, a, a very decent calibre, especially when you look at the clubs who were uh, sniffing around him. Uh, and I, I think it's good business. I think it's great business. But what I think it is, is I think it's what was required, isn't it? Let's be honest. Let's not... Let's not um, pretend that this is fairy tale land here. This is what we needed desperately. Oh, big time! And I agree with you. And and I think there's been there's been sort of split on on social media. I think I think the majority seem to have been quite uh, enthused by the business over the last few days. And then and there's a counterpoint which I also understand is that well, why should we be celebrating this? This should be expected. But the fact is that it hasn't been what's happened over the over the last however long. And so this is so far removed. And it, although it is still a little microcosm, a little micro section within the whole of the the sort of omni shambles that has been Newcastle United over however long <laughs> period of time. This this is this is in this moment in time there is something finally to, to be a little bit positive about after all of the frustrations and exasperations of, of the last six months and, and obviously beyond with the whole Mike Ashley era, but particularly the takeover saga. And so Newcastle desperately did need this, but also it's not that they desperately needed this and then they've just signed some players who they're thinking, mm, that might work out. In theory, and no but nothing is a certainty, but in theory those three players, as I said before, are coming into the team and they are going to improve the team. And so Newcastle are stronger now than they were towards the end of last season. They're not all necessarily like for like for the three loan signings who who left at the end of last season. But I'd say that 
they're probably better players all round, and they're not like for like position wise. But if you if you swapped three then for the three now, I think you'd see Newcastle are in a far stronger position. The bigger picture, of course, as as Chris points to, is that a couple of months ago, maybe a bit longer, you know, Newcastle fans were fantasizing about Gareth Bale joining them or Neymar joining them. I mean, that was never realistic, <laughs> but that but that was you know that was the conversation that was being had. Everybody was playing fantasy football. One of the interesting things, now people might not believe this, but I can swear I, I swear that it's true, both Callum Wilson and Fraser were on the prospective owners list for new signings. They may not have been top of the list, they may not have been top of the list, but they were on it, may not have been on the first list even, but they were on the list. And of course, you know, transfer targets are a movable feast because once the transfer window opens, all those you know, players move and all that kind of stuff. So it's not far beyond what Newcastle might have had in any case. I mean, they were also interested. I wrote a piece uh, for The Athletic that went up on on Saturday in which I talked about this philosophy, this philosophy of no risk. And I mentioned, you know, a couple of players that the consortium have been interested in who ended up going to Man City and Arsenal and things like that. So they were, it's not to say that they would have got them, of course, but they were looking at players like that. But these, you know, these players, they're good players. And... There is, as Chris says, the idea is they come into the team and they improve it straight away. Mm. And honestly, that is so important, so important this season. It's important with the way last season ended. It's important because of what's been happening over the summer. It's because it's important because of the season that's that's to come. And again, I'm not. I don't want. You know, I don't expect people to get misty-eyed about Steve Bruce. Um, you know, he's someone that we've talked a lot about, obviously, on the podcast. I've done an interview with him which should be available to read uh, now uh, when the pod comes out and what I wanted to talk to him about was people who've influenced him over the course of his life and career and so we've done that and we've done that we've kind of picked out he picked out five or six sort of people going all the way back to his school teachers at Benfield mm. Comp uh, to, to, to people at Walls End Boys Club etc etc and the thing that shone through all of going all the way up to Sir, to Sir Alex Ferguson as you'd imagine the thing that kind of really struck me was that he's had to prove himself from day one he was this scrawny little kid uh, underdeveloped as he puts it who wouldn't take his underpants off in the shower when he was 13, 14, because he was such a little kid, who's fought for everything. And he's, the, the thing that I kind of found interesting about this was that, you know, he, he then went on, you know, he thought he wasn't going to get a league club. He f finally did it at Gillingham. He was there for seven years in the third division, then gets to Norwich, has to do it all over again. He was the unfittest player there, had to do it again. Goes to, goes to Man United. Ferguson tells him, you think you're fucking Franz Beckenbauer, son, and you are not Franz Beckenbauer. And he's had he, and he's had to do it again. And at the end of his playing career, he was captain of arguably the biggest club in the world. He's won trophies galore, and it's difficult to sort of think of him in those terms. But he's doing now what he's had to do all the way through his career. He's mm. he's trying to prove himself. And basically, I said to him, Actually, what we've talked about here really is is Newcastle, but just in a different way. And he kind of went on this big long thing about all the you know what he's trying to do here. And it's it, he's just going to try. He is going to try. People might not like him, and he says, "I understand totally." When people point to the manager that came before and point to me and say, "Come on," you know, he understands that. But what's he supposed to do about that? And all I'd say is, what's happened this summer shows that he is. He has won an argument. Maybe that's all it is, but he has won an argument. And the players that he's got 
are his players. Absolutely. I mean, those those players coming in are not the types of players that I think Newcastle fans were expecting to come in, were they? I mean, if looking back over the last few transfer windows, like Chris said, it's 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 not exactly typical business for us, isn't it? Which is why I think there has been such a surprise and such excitement of these uh, of these transfers coming in. Chris, would you agree? Yeah, I mean that is that is what is so different about it. Yeah, that I I haven't had an issue with the with part of the overarching blueprint under. Magashian in theory, Rafa Benitez didn't, and I don't think that Steve Bruce did. But the the problem that is always that I've always had with it is that to really improve these players that that you bring in who are young and inexperienced, is you need you do need a sprinkling of experience in there now and again because it's not they're not signing the absolute best young players in Europe because they're not competing in that league. So therefore, they aren't they aren't they aren't signing uh, the, the likes of the, the, the sort of players who Chelsea are signing at the minute. They're not signing Jadon Sancho. The, these are very talented young players, some of the ones they've brought in over the last few years, but the ones who still need to be moulded in a certain way. Even Alan St. Maximum, when he came in last summer, was there were still doubts over him, and I suppose you could argue there's still a lot of doubts over him, but that one has worked out, but a lot of them haven't. And so bringing this, these experienced players, and Callum Wilson is, is, a, is the centre forward they need. He's, he's the player they need in the, in the situation they're in now, and Look, it may not turn out for the best, and in some ways, if we end up Mike Ashley stays at Newcastle United long term, then we may look at this this window as the one where it finally killed off any chance of these transfers happening. And if Callum Wilson doesn't work out, but they've given it a go, and he has mm. been backed in that sense. And just speaking about about fans, I mean, a, a couple of weeks ago, George asked me to put out a poll for a piece about hope that he's writing. Um, so each of the individual club writers. Newcastle fans asked them, how optimistic or pessimistic are you feeling about when Newcastle will finish this season? And we had 6,027 responses then, and 92% of them were either struggle but survive or big trouble. 6% right. said mid-table, 2% said top 10. Now, I've put out a poll this morning, which has had so far 5,259 votes, exactly wow. the same question, exactly the same responses, and... Now, there are only 50% in that bottom category, only 6% in big trouble, 44% say struggle but survive, 42% mid-table, and 7% top 10. So it just shows that the transformative no changes, effect that, that, that transfers can <clears throat> have on the mood, at least in the short term, and, and that people suddenly feel a little bit more optimistic. Now, come... Mid-table, come on, come on, mid-table, you beauty, come on, fuck, come on, mid-table. <laughs> 11th, come on, yes! Yes! Book that open, book that open top bus for the lads. Come on! <laughs> <laughs> the fight for for 10th place. Wow, get in. It, it, it's interesting though, isn't it? I read a thing the other day, somebody was mentioning about, about um, football fans and the way they view transfers as being almost like a collection, like a sticker book, to say, oh, I've got that one now. Oh, I've got that one now. And it's quite an interesting theory. You know, it's 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 less about the football club itself and more about the name that you can stick into your team's book. You know, it's a strange one. But I, I do think that the Callum Wilson, actually Ryan Fraser is the one that I'm slightly more excited about because I've did what i watched him over the last few years and I, I do think he's a, a sparky little player. I think he's got something about him, um, and he—he's not as much of an angry wee bastard as uh, Matt Ritchie is or was. Uh, but I think there's something about uh, Ryan Fraser there, which is going to which is going to fit nicely. And I think Newcastle fans are going to like him a lot. Well, I, th- I think you make a great point when you talked earlier about the partnership that they've already yeah, had. Absolutely. So, in other in other words, I mean, it's a good thing too because you know the first game's a couple of days away now, but or you know a handful of days away. But you know, actually having a ready-made partnership to come together people mm. who know each other and again you know you run the risk of harking back and all that kind of stuff but you go back 
to the season before last when the season ended with Rondon in the middle, Almiron and Perez. And you just had those little... You had that triangle and it worked. Balance, you know, it, it worked and it worked really well and it was balanced. And, you know, we'll have to see whether... We'll have to see whether this works in the same way. You just never know how people will gel. But you've already got one bit of it there that works. And what I like about what I like about Wilson is, you know, that he's a cent- he's a centre forward. You know, he's not going to plunder as many goals as Alan Shearer did in his in his time. But he can hold the ball up. He can he can he can help the players who specialise in getting up the pitch for Newcastle, and they've just not had that. They've not had a centre-forward. OK, fine. Gale came into the team towards the end of the season, and, you know, you saw Newcastle improve just for having a proper striker on the pitch. But they've got someone whose whole point is to is to operate like that. He will help the team. He will give the team time. He will help the team get, off the, get up the pitch. And then at the end of it, he should be there to put to put the ball away. So the front front end of the pitch looks looks stronger already and Absolutely. I'm quite excited about that. I'll tell you what else he is, Callum Wilson. He's a big handsome brute, isn't he? Well, my word, when those photos came out yesterday, I had to go and open some windows in the flat. Oh, my <laughs> God. What a, what a champion looking lad he is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nice to have a bit of eye candy. Yeah, him and Fabian Shaw around a big market. Imagine. Oh my God. Me wet floor signs everywhere. Anyway, um, This podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, the expert in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision engineering tools for your family jewels. And Manscaped has just launched in the UK. (laughs) We've gone years without using the right tools for the job, so you can be one of the first men in the country to experience Manscaped's life-changing products. Uh, Their third-generation trimmer... Is it a chainsaw? Can I get on with the script, please, George, before yes. we start jumping in? Their third-generation trimmer, strimmer, hedge trimmer, features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce manscaping accidents. And the water-resistant technology allows you to groom whilst in the shower or in the bath, talking to Steve Bruce. Uh, we've got a special offer for you right now, listening to this podcast. Get 20% off and free shipping by using the code EPL20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping and manscaped by using the code EPL20. Happy shaving. And I hope that is the only 20% off. George, are you going to get Are you going to get one of those? <laughs> Hashtag knee pubes. Knee um, pubes. Knee pubes. Wow. Well, I mean, it's the future, this, isn't it? This is the future. So. Um, this is what all the lads are know, doing. S- specialist equipment to mm. uh, to get rid of the old to get rid of the old uh, pubes. Um, I'd like to know where Chris stands on this subject. How do you mean by why I, where I stand? Very far away, I'd well, imagine. I'm not saying hands I, over I, his I, eyes. I'm not. I, I'm not talking about your sack shaving stance. Oh, look, that was quite a good alliteration. I'm not talking about your sack shaving stance. I'm talking about where you stand on the whole idea of male grooming. Each to their own. I think it's. Uh, I think some some more natural. Some you know people people Nicely prefer. prefer You're quite things. uncomfortable. You're quite uncomfortable Nicely talking about dodged. stuff like this, aren't you, Chris? Yeah. For a man yeah, so but... ready to talk about meat, he doesn't want to talk about his meat. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, th- I think I think it's important. I mean, so my per- my personal philosophy on this is to um, is to is to be streamlined for the summer. I like to be streamlined for the summer, and I like to grow a full all over body pelt for the winter. I think it's. I mean, I think this is you know prehistoric man kicking in. It's those old. It's those old instincts. But mm. I want to be one giant ball of hair in the cold winter months 
-hmm. And then when summer comes along, I want to be streamlined so I can catch that gazelle. And nothing is going to interfere with your catching of that gazelle with hairy balls getting caught on brambles and stuff like that. So that's <laughs> I, that's very much my, whatever, that's my, so I'm all in favour of manscaping and I will be signing up for that. So we're joined by Pete Rutzler, who's the Athletics. Uh, well, you're currently covering Fulham, is that right? But you were covering Bournemouth last year, Pete, is that correct? Yes, yeah, that's right. I covered Bournemouth last season. So you've got a lot of experience of Wilson and Fraser and their uh, exploits on the South Coast. Well, I do. I mean, last season's exploits weren't as exciting as no. 18-19, but uh, yes, I'm, I'm certainly clued up on what they can do at their peak. So what have, what have Newcastle got with these two signings then? What have they brought in? Well, the fact you signed both is, is really quite exciting, actually. Um, the way they, they play together, their understanding, the number of goals they created for each other made them such a threat for Bournemouth. And I think the absence of that link and, and that connection last year really did affect the team and, and really did contribute to their, to their struggles in the attacking mm. third, which you know were Bournemouth's main problems. And I think from Fraser's side, his, his contract situation really did seem to affect him. Um, yeah. We didn't see the same player, but but that said, you know, and I'm sure we'll talk about it in a bit, but he's he was still Bournemouth's crea most creative player um, yeah. despite all of that. Um, and Callum Wilson was essentially deprived of the same service that he'd had the year before. So um, from that side of it, it wasn't as exciting last year, but, you know, when they are on song, when they are playing together and in tandem and so effective in transition on, on the break, they are a real weapon and the fact that Newcastle have recruited both of them is is a real boost and it'd be good to see if Fraser can hit those high levels again and how much that can boost Callum Wilson. Absolutely. Newcastle were playing on the break quite a lot last season, sitting deep and then trying to uh, explode out of the blocks. Do you think Fraser and uh, and Wilson are going to fit into that mould, are going to are gonna fit in nicely with those players around them, the likes of Almiron and some Maximan as well? Yeah, I think it's actually very a very exciting attacking lineup and I think Fraser sort of came into his own when Bournemouth started to play on the counter-attack a little bit more. You know, he, he'd been at the club for seven years, but it was that year, 2018-19, and, and the season before yeah. where Bournemouth were just sort of transitioning from a proactive possession-based team to one that preferred to hit teams on the break and sit a little bit deeper. Um, it sort of unravelled last year with the lack of their attacking threat at all, but he, he certainly is excellent at, at breaking at, at pace. Um, Callum Wilson as well. Loves to be on the on the last defender. Very clever movement, um, and can sniff out a goal. So, in terms of how he'll fit, how they'll fit in, in New, at Newcastle, they you know they they're ideal recruits to to play alongside the likes of Almiron and, and Sam Maximan and dovetail with those players. Fantastic. And as far as injuries go and stuff like that, is the are either of these players prone to injury? Or I know Callum Wilson's had a couple of problems in the past with his knees and stuff like that. But is this something that you could see being a problem? Newcastle are really good for injuries. We we always seem to uh, to to have a, a really bad spell in the season where we lose a lot of players. Do do you think these guys are going to be okay? Yeah, you'd hope so. I don't think they've they've had any significant issues um, recently. I think Fraser's always had sort of a, a clean bill of health, so I can't mm. imagine there being an issue there. I think for him, it's more a case of trying to get him back up to those levels, and that'll be the challenge for Steve Bruce. Can he get the most out of him? Um, and really, you know, I think I think the fact that he will be now focused on his football, he won't have any off-field distractions. You know, he changed his agent midway through the season, and, you know, he wanted a move. He wanted that ideally to a top-six club, but with his form, it's... You know that that was yeah. never really likely to happen. There was never never a bid last summer for that, so that should bode well. 
with Callum, he had he was really, really unlucky. He suffered two serious ACL injuries to both of his knees. Uh, once Bournemouth had, had won promotion, you know, he was so important to that promotion campaign. Yeah. Was on the verge of that first England call up, and then and then he, he suffered his first injury at Stoke, and then he suffered another one to to his opposite knee. And what has been so remarkable about Callum is the fact that he's been able to come back from that. You know, there was a time where you could suffer an ACL injury, and it would you know be you know that would be detrimental sometimes terminal to, to your career and not uh, certainly for a player who's trying to get into the England squad and, and becoming a, a key player in, in that in that sense but um, you know he he bounced back even after a second one which is you know even more extraordinary really um, it's taken a lot of hard work he's put in a lot of hard yards to get himself back fit and you know he's gone from strength to strength and then after after he came back he, he, he battled back into England contention scored his mm-hmm. first England goal became the first Bournemouth, active Bournemouth player to score for England, um, and in that sense, we haven't had any. He hasn't had any issues since, and he, because he's such a professional and because he looks after himself so well, I don't think mm. you'll have too many issues in that regard as long as he's looked after properly. Yeah, and with regards to how they have left Bournemouth, I know that uh, Callum Wilson seems to be be going with all of Bournemouth's well wishes, whereas. Ryan Fraser, we haven't heard so much about that, and obviously he's left under a bit of a cloud. Is there, is this, is there a story there? Is there something going on? Yes, um, there's <laughs> definitely an interesting contrast between the there two is, in how they've left Bournemouth. Um, you know, they've both been at the club; they've both been long-term servants to Bournemouth. Yeah, Fraser joined when they were in League One, so he's you know he's he was sort of the the epitome of the Eddie Howe rise in in a sense. You know, coming from that stage being nurtured through he had a loan spell at Ipswich and then really reaching such extraordinary heights in the Premier League higher than you know pretty much any of Bournemouth's players in their history really um and then of course the way last season panned out the fact that he he gave an interview in January where he said he hadn't really been trying for the team um which naturally went down very badly he is a very honest character and can sometimes say a little bit too much Mm. um but then it was only compounded when, of course, it's you know the lockdown and the extended season and the challenge that posed any player whose, whose contract is running down. It makes it so so hard, and yeah. you don't really envy him in in that situation. But you know he said in that interview that he would give everything to the team to help them stay up. But then he walked away before the final nine games of the season. And as I've mentioned before, he's he was so important, even with his form not being at the same level. Um, he was still their most creative player and they definitely missed him. You know, he's so important from set pieces and Bournemouth scored so many goals from set plays. But the fact that he did walk away, you know, really left a, a sour taste in, in Bournemouth fans' mouths. And he's, you know, it's it's actually quite sad, really, how how it sort of tarnished his his legacy a little bit uh, down down on the South Coast. So, you know, he's, he, he won't be as fondly remembered as perhaps he could have been. <laughs> yeah. I think that's fair to say. Um, but Callum, Callum Wilson, you know, is... You know the fans are really grateful for what for his contribution to the club's yeah. rise, to the club's story, to promotion, and and staying with the club. You know he's you know he's an England player as well, and and he's grateful the other way because of the support they've they've shown him through his injuries. So yeah, um, yeah, two very contrasting exits, I think. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for coming on, Pete, and talking to us. That's fantastic. Lots of great information there about Newcastle's two new signings. Thank you again for uh, for joining us. No problem at all. Thanks for having me.
Oh, ladies and gentlemen, Harry's sponsors, Pod on the Tyne. Uh, as a listener to the podcast, you can start shaving with Harry's today by claiming your trial set for £3.95. Support our podcast and get your set delivered to you, including a razor handle, five blade cartridge, foaming shave gel and travel blade cover. And going to harrys.com, uh, Pod on the Tyne, right now, we'll get you that trial pack. That's harrys.com forward slash Pod on the Tyne. How come I have to read these all the time? Why can't we get George to do one of these sometime. George, you're the one who's used these Harry's razors. My cheeks have never been smoother. <laughs> I can do that. Wonderful. If you want me to do that, I'll just clip clip that. Here we go. <clears throat> Harry's razors. My cheeks have never been smoother. So there we go. That was Pete Rutzler, the uh, Athletics uh, Bournemouth correspondent from last year, now covering Fulham with lots of lovely information about Ryan Fraser and Callum Wilson. One person who's been uh, instrumental in, well, not instrumental, but he's been involved in uh, Wilson's decision to come to the northeast uh, was the mighty Alan Shearer. He's been texting him and talking up the talking up the club and the city and stuff like that, and uh, and he's been giving him some information about the about the team. Isn't that right, Chris? He has. Yeah, I mean Bruce. Was spoke a lot to Wilson as well, and I think he sort of sold him the vision of if you come to Newcastle, you lead the line, you score goals here, and you, you can become a hero. And he also had that conversation. Yes, well, he had the conversation of, of the legend among all legends on, on Tyneside, obviously, uh, in, in Alan Shearer, who um, first texted Wilson a few years ago, I think it was about 2015, when he did his first ACL injury, and, and Shearer... Uh, does this, I think, fairly often with, with players who have serious injuries. He messages them just mm. to give them a sort of a bit of support because he obviously had serious injuries himself to his knee and his ankles nice. during his career and, and he knows how low that can feel. And so him and him and Wilson have, have, have texted intermittently since. I think when he got in the England squad, he messaged him. But then over the weekend, uh, particularly as he was flying up in uh, Mike Ashley's helicopter, but also even before that, and, and subsequently he was, he was basically asking Shearer about the city and got very positive reports on the, on the city mm. and, and, and the club. Shearer said to him, yeah, come here, work hard, score goals and love the club as much as, as uh, just show that you love the club as much as the fans do and you, and you will be accepted and adored and I think that, that that meant a lot to him to hear that from Shearer and it's exactly how he wants to feel I think coming here he, that's how centre forwards like to feel they want to be the main man they they want that sort of glory and, and hearing it from Alan Shearer himself uh, must have been very special for him. Fantastic George you've been speaking to Alan Shearer recently haven't you? Well, indeed, yes. So one of the uh, one of the things we've been doing at the Athletic over the course of the summer is our Premier League sixty list, which is, uh, in our opinion, the sixty top players to have played in the Premier League. Which, of course, is a bit of an artificial sort of uh, invent- invention, but it's certainly got people talking. And mm. I kicked off the series with a piece on. Les Ferdinand, who was number 60, and we've got to number two in the list. In fact, I think when the pod's out, it'll be up to number one. Anyway, number two in the list was a certain Alan Shearer. Mm. And I have to say that although we all, every writer, every writer got, got a vote in terms of our top players, but we did not, only a few people got a say in which position. They locked themselves in a room and uh, discussed it and came up with... Shearer as number two, and quite frankly, those people should be frigging ashamed of themselves. <laughs> this should be a sackable offence. Oh but, man! Uh, anyway, so but all joking aside, it's uh, you know it's one of those great kind of debating points. I thought I'd start off this piece with a quote from Alan Shearer from back in the day when he was a player, and he very famously said, first is first. That's the way I was brought up. Second and third are nowhere." And I oh, was dear. the bloke 
who had the joy of ringing up Alan Shearer to tell him that he'd <laughs> he'd come second. Now, anyway, it, it's you know it's it's fine. He he took that in good good uh, part, and then we we discussed his history of kind of coming second, and because there was a bit too much of that for our liking mm. at Newcastle, second in the league in his first season, and then obviously a couple of uh, cup finals too. When yeah. sadly we were on the wrong end of results. But he did also come first at Blackburn and there was that incredible sequence of seasons when he scored, oh, what was it? It was like 34, 31, 34, 31 league goals in consecutive seasons. And yeah, Blackburn has just come up from the championship, finished fourth, second and then first. But anyway, so as part of this, I did ask him whether he should have won more trophies over the course of, the, of his career. And he gave a, what I thought was a very, very nice answer, which we can listen to now. Would it change anything? Well, I mean, no, I was always happy with the decision I made to go into Southampton because it worked unbelievably well. I had a great start and great learning curve and all of that. Um, I went to Blackburn because of Kenny, Ray and Jack. And they said they were going to win the league and they won it within four years, which was, I mean, a phenomenal achievement to come in and take the big boys on. I mean, to put it into context, it's like, I mean, who won the league this year? Leeds. It's like Leeds coming in and within four years winning the Premier League. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and probably Blackburn on a bigger club as Leeds. So for, for Kenny to do what he did at, uh, at Blackburn was, was a phenomenal achievement. I mean, we finished first three years we finished fourth second and won it yeah which was ridiculous yeah um so it's all right saying well oh jack had the money but you try and get players to blackburn or to teams that are are promoted nowadays it would be virtually impossible so and then i had my dream at newcastle i wore the nine and scored goals and got the record and statue and so i mean how can i how could i ever, ever regret that well there you go no, no regret, it seems. <laughs> well, no, I mean, and, you know, there is that sort of strange thing. I mean, he says he, know, he knows, he acknowledges, he acknowledges he, he, would have, he would have won a lot of stuff if he'd gone to yeah. Man United. And, um, I mean, one of the other things I kind of looked at, I, I went back to his really pretty terrible autobiography, which he wrote in 1998, <laughs> which was called My Story So Far. Nice one with the imagination there. Uh, <laughs> Alan, but um, and he talked about obviously you know he could have played alongside Cantona, Giggs, Keane at Old Trafford, amazing. Yeah. And he he spoke to Ferguson, and he, the first thing he did after that was go house hunting. And you know he'd had that he'd had an offer from Everton, and there was a late approach from Liverpool, and that was you know that was something that was uh, that was in his mind. Arsenal, he says that. Bruce Riach had saved up all his transfer funds to sign him for Arsenal. And, by the way, he then throws in, oh, yeah, Juventus, Inter Milan and Barcelona, three of the oh, biggest Jesus clubs Christ. in the world. And then, after all of that, Blackburn offer him the position of player-manager. He was 25. He was 25 Brilliant. years old. Yeah. And the kind of beautiful thing about that is that he then speaks to Kevin Keegan and Shearer comes home. And so he turned down all those clubs to come home and obviously at the time he you know Newcastle had just finished second when they should have finished first um to man to man U, and he did it because he thought there was going to be a great chance to to win something he was a world record signing let's not forget um and it was that incredible sort of 
statement in t- of intent. But sadly, sadly, in terms of winning uh, something, it never it never quite happened. But my God, how privileged how privileged were we oh, to have yeah. him, and how privileged were we to to watch him? A man who had absolutely everything as a player, who won games, who saved games, who was often the best defender on the pitch, let alone the best attacker. Um, you know, I love him. Absolutely. I love him as a fella. I uh, I remember watching him score his first goal for Newcastle against Wimbledon at St James's Park. I wasn't actually in the ground. I was outside the ground, looking through the uh, the barriers at the back of St James's Park because at the time we couldn't. <laughs> I couldn't afford a ticket to get in, and it was it was me and my my uh, my best mate Steve. We were stood looking through the gate, and if you looked through the gate, you could see about two thirds of the pitch. And then <laughs> if you looked in the reflection of the boxes in the east stand, you could see the rest of the pitch. So you could kind of watch the game. Um, and we watched. Uh, uh, we watched and watched that game, and uh, I believe we were one one nil up. Uh, and Alan Shearer had a couple of uh, free kicks, um, or the the team, sorry, had a couple of free kicks that uh, didn't uh, didn't hit the mark. And then Shearer stepped up in the in the last couple of minutes. But just before we got that free kick, one of the uh, one of the stewards said, "Here, lads, come in, just quickly." come in here and we went inside this door and we watched on the screen in the concourse as Alan Shearer floated that free kick into the top uh, <laughs> top left corner past Neil Sullivan and all hell broke loose and it's a memory that I've got which is not a football memory really because I wasn't at the game but I was in the stadium it's so bizarre but I'll never yeah. ever forget that moment for the rest of my life it was amazing absolutely incredible moment well he's he, I mean the amount that he had throughout his entire career it's just I mean the, 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 the oh, yeah. 201st goal that moment was incredible um, to finish his career scoring against Sunderland as well. I know that yeah. he wouldn't have wanted to finish an injury, but that basically his last kick of a football was to score a penalty at the, at the arch rivals of Newcastle United, of the club he supported as a boy. Then yeah. Les Ferdinand winning that penalty, definite penalty in the testimonial as well. <laughs> Absolutely Stonewall. nothing nothing weird about that one, was there? <laughs> but, but there's a... There's a oh. in, in, on that piece in The Athletic, there, I'd linked... There's a there's a kind of Sky Sports YouTube link and it has got his best goals on both for Newcastle yeah. and Blackburn and they are astonishing. I mean, he scored all of those goals. He scored so many goals and so you know he scored all types of goals. But yeah, he, he wasn't he wasn't a goal poacher. He scored some astonishing goals. Of course, took loads of penalties, but then that was an art in itself. Uh, he could score from free kicks. The goals he scored from outside the box, you know, it just. The power. There's this great quote which I've mentioned before, actually, when I'm when I've written about him in the past. But there's this great quote from Alex Ferguson who said he hit it as if he meant to kill it, and yes. that's what Shearer did with the football. It was mm. just the that absolute power that he struck the ball, and he could volley it. He could use both feet. He was good in the air. And then you know later on, later I mean he was he was a master at buying his team time. Yeah, and you know. Winning those free quick kicks on the halfway line, you know, the ball would be coming up to him. He'd get a nudge off a defender, and he'd go down, and he'd win free kicks. There was no one better at winning free kicks, and yeah. you know that's an art form. And then, you know, for too much of his time at Newcastle, the club w- wasn't necessarily a happy place. Seeing mm. him, seeing him in the corner shielding the ball, <laughs> he could so good at doing that, sticking his backside out. He was so very, very good at that. Now. In this list, in the top ten, you know, you've got people like Giggs. I won't mention who's won it, just in case, mm. just in case anyone's not seen it yet. But you know, you've got players like Giggs and Keane, and you've got players who've like won absolutely everything. I sort of think it's it's actually such a compliment to Shearer to be number two on that list because he scored all those goals 
in a team, well, not all of them, because there was that incredible patch at, at Blackburn, but he scored all of those goals for teams that you know only won one trophy. I mean, so when you yeah. actually think of it, for him to be where he is on that list is all the more astonishing. It's an incredible um, achievement, isn't it? Because he wasn't surrounded by people who were winning trophies every year. Well, of course, you can read that Premier League 60 article by George about Alan Shearer uh, on www.theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod. If you follow that link, you can take advantage of a 30-day free trial for The Athletic and look at all the other lovely football content that's on there at the moment. As we hurtle towards a new Premier League season, Newcastle have signed a few players. Things are looking slightly brighter. Uh, Who knows? Could it be the year when we break into the top 10 <laughs> and attack ninth place? Oh, my God. Who can, who knows? What could happen, possibly? Lads, thank you very much for joining us. It's been fun. Thanks a lot for Pete Rutzler for coming on and giving us a little bit of info about Callum Wilson and Ryan Fraser as well. And uh, we shall speak to you all very soon on the other side. Take care of yourselves. Look after each other. Bye-bye. <laughs>